0: This past year, during the Super Bowl, Coke aired a commercial that caused a lot of commotion. It was uh, a commercial in which America the Beautiful was sung by people of various different nationalities in their own uh, mother tongue. Twitter exploded. People began... uh, Uh, tweeting and started a hashtag about how they were going to boycott coke because they said that that song should be sung in english there were others that said that the various different languages were part of the commercial's charm and they cheered the uh, company uh things began uh, became very ugly and there was a lot of uh things deteriorated on Twitter, and in the end, it was painfully clear that our country was arguing and divided about yet something else. In recent years, Americans have become very divided and fragmented over everything. In the the, um, 1860s, we were divided north and south. We were divided over the (laughs) slavery issue. Nowadays, We are divided into the blue and the red states. We are divided on the abortion issue, on the gay marriage issue. We are divided on Obamacare, on religion, on politics, on race, on sex, on environmental issues. Researchers tell us that the only thing that we can agree on is the fact that we can't agree on anything. If you watched the news this past week, you watched images of fires and fighting and shooting taking place in Ukraine, a country that is not typically on the news and not typically one that you think of when you think of unrest among the nations, and yet it was this week. And you start to wonder, is there any place that gets along Is there any place free from this? Is our country that's bickering and and divided, are we headed for that kind of violence and fighting? Uh, The world can be a scary place because you look at it and most of the time you see a bunch of people that just don't really like each other very well. Well, hating your fellow man is nothing new. It's been around. And Paul is going to have some things to say about this morning. So if you would turn with me in your, in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. We are back at Ephesians where uh, we're going to pick up where we left off two weeks ago. This is one of those passages that's going to be much easier to work through if it is right in front of you. So uh, we're going to start in chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the circumcision by what is called the uncircumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Okay, we're going to stop there. When I first was reading through this passage, I wondered, what am I going to do with this? All this talk of Gentiles and circumcision. We are women living in Charlotte, 2014, what does this have to do with anything? Well, we're going to work our way through it, and uh, we're going to kind of unpack some things at the beginning, and then we're going to see things become a little easier and definitely get very relevant very quickly. Two words are going to be especially helpful for us. If you look at verse 11, it starts with the words, Therefore, remember. Then if you look down in verse 12, we see the word remember again. So that's two times in one sentence we see the word remember. That's usually a good indicator that the author wants us to remember something. Okay? Now, what is that exactly? Well, that's what we want to tear into. If you look at verse 11, it says, therefore. Now, we've talked about that word before. What is it, therefore? Therefore. Remember That at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision. Okay, stop there. Back in Paul's day, there were two kinds of people you had Jewish people, and then you had everything else. They fell into those two categories. The words, the term um, uncircumcision, that is what a Jew would call a Gentile, and it was a derogatory term. Okay? Now, this um, instruction to remember is to the Gentiles. Okay, that's to us, specifically. All right, now what is it that we are to remember? There's five things in verse 12. Let's watch for them. Verse 12, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. All right, that's the first one. Alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, that's two. And strangers to the covenants of promise, there's three. Having no hope, that's four. And without God in the world, that's five. Now, this should remind you of last week, or the two weeks ago, where Paul is once again putting out there just our hopeless situation before Jesus Christ. Okay, except this time, he makes a big deal about the fact that we are separated from Israel, and we're separated from the covenants. Did you see that? Now, what's the big deal about that? Why would we care about that? Well, uh, We're going to do this very quickly, but if you would turn in your Bibles, keep your finger in Ephesians because we're coming back, but if you would turn in your Bibles to the book of Genesis. We're going to look at this very quickly. Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Okay, turn over now to Genesis chapter 17. Genesis 17 verse 7. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout your generations for an everlasting covenant. Now here it is, to be God to you and to your offspring after you. Okay, now if you have studied covenant before, this will be reviewed to you. If you have not studied covenant, then I'm going to give you the speed version okay? God, in the book of Genesis, comes to Abram, and he makes a covenant with him and his descendants, and he basically promises that he is going to be their God, and they will be his people. The laws, the promises, the covenants, the scriptures, they all came through the Jews, the Jewish nation, okay? If a non-Jewish person was God-fearing, and came to God, he did it by way of Judaism, by coming to a Jewish Messiah. Okay, so consequently, true saving faith was very much at that time contained to that little nation of Israel. Okay? So when Paul is talking about being separated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant, that's what he's talking about. He is talking about the way that the Jews were God's chosen people and the Gentiles were not. All right, now we're going to add that to our paper because that is one of the first things that he wants us to remember. So number one on your paper, remember we were alienated from Christ, separated from Israel, and hopeless without God in the world. Okay, we're going to continue... Get yourself back into Ephesians. We will be uh, parked there for the remainder. Ephesians chapter 2, we are going to pick up in verse 13. Okay, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. All right, now this, will stop there. Now, this should sound familiar because we had a similar verse like this last time. Do you remember the last time we talked about some things and then we came to the but God verse? Now, we're seeing a very similar thing, only this time it's but Christ. But now in Christ, we've been brought near. Now, we want to add that to our paper as well. Number two, remember, the blood of Christ brought us near to God. We used to be far away from the things of God, but the cross has given us access. It's brought us near to God. Salvation is no longer contained to that little country of Israel. Okay? Now he's going to explain more about that in verse 14. Verse 14, and and this is kind of a a wordy passage, but here we go. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace. if we have some understanding uh, about the Jewish background, all right? Now, if you have been doing your daily Bible reading, this past week you had all those passages about the dietary laws and the, um, and the ceremonial laws and the cleansing and all those things. Everything about those laws and those rituals made a division between the Jews and the nations around them. Everything about those laws made them distinct, okay, from the other nations. Those laws would have made it very difficult for a Jew and a Gentile to hang out, even if they wanted to. All right, now, what happens, unfortunately, over time, many of the Jews begin to feel that they were superior, and they begin to hate the Gentiles. Okay, your, your book had an example. It gave the example about how if a Jewish man married a Gentile woman or vice versa, the family did not have a wedding. They, they planned a funeral, because uh, it was uh, such a terrible thing in their minds that they marry. Some sources explained that Jewish midwives <clears throat> were, not, were told by the rabbis not to help deliver Gentile babies, because in their mind, the, the rabbis taught that um, the Gentiles were nothing more than kindling for the fires of hell. So uh, you can see here, we had... Um, there developed great hostility between these two groups. In verse 14, it talks about a dividing wall. Scholars tell us that in Herod's temple, there was a small outer court for the Gentiles, for those God-fearing Gentiles, there was a small outer court, but there was a stone wall dividing it from the remaining parts of the um, temple. And apparently there were signs posted that said, if they trespassed, they would have no one to blame but themselves for their death. Okay? You, didn't, you did not want to get lost in that temple. Um, so Paul is describing two groups formerly that hated each other. <clears throat> they were complete odds with each other. And then in verse 14, it tells us Paul tells us that Jesus has made both one <clears throat> and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility because Jesus became our peace. Jew and Gentile now have peace together. That's our third thing we want to remember. Number three, <clears throat> remember that Jesus became peace and reconciled Jew and Gentile to God and to each other. Okay, simply put, we Gentiles, we used to be separated from God. We used to be separated from his people. But now because of Christ, we've been reconciled to God and we have been reconciled and we have peace with his people. Now, why do we need to remember all these things? Well, these remembers, uh, among other things, they're setting us up for something. Paul's about to talk about something very big. Now, <clears throat> look with me at that little phrase in verse 15 that says, That he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. One new man. Where there used to be two. What is he talking about? What is it? What's the new man? Don't be afraid. It's the church, yes. He's talking about the church. Paul says God has created a whole new man, it's a whole new society. It's a one new society where there used to be two. In chapter one, Paul calls it the church. He calls it the body of Christ. In chapter two, he's going to call it a couple of different things. He's got a couple of different pictures for it. And we want to spend the rest of our time today looking at those. Um, we want to understand our identity as we are in the place. We are a member of this new society. That's, these are things that we need to understand. <clears throat> so... What is the church? Well, let me start by saying what it's not, okay? My husband and I, we love going to the theater and to see um, musicals and shows. Well, we used to. Uh, It's getting harder and harder to find things that are appropriate, but it used to be that we liked going. And when we go to the theater, we usually get ourselves a little bit dressed up, and we go into the city, and um, we arrive at the theater. And for the most part, we kind of stay to ourselves. And then it comes time to enter. And you walk through the door, and there is a person there handing out bulletins, uh, uh, programs. And, um, and you will take one and smile. And then we are creatures of habit, so we always like to try to sit in the same place when we go to the theater. We like an end seat. And um, so usually that means that people have to crawl over you at the theater to get to their seat. So a lot of times we'll get up to make things easier, and that gives us a chance to interact with the people as they're getting their seat. Nothing too serious, but just uh, simple hellos. And um, then they will sit down. If we're waiting for the show to start or maybe during the intermission, we might make small talk um, with the people around us. But again, nothing too serious. We're, we're not exchanging emails or anything. Um <clears throat> When the actors come out on stage, if we like what they say, you know, we'll clap politely, maybe laugh, maybe smile. If we really like what they do, then we might stand up and uh, cheer. Um, At the end of the show, we are usually in a hurry to get out of there, so we leave rather quickly. Uh, We don't like crowds either. And then um, when we get to the car or sometimes even on the way to the car, we love to critique the show. We love to talk about who our favorite parts were or what we didn't like. Uh, we might even rate it compared to other shows that we've seen or um, compare it to other shows. If uh, We might say things like, oh, that was so funny when he said that, or, oh, you know, I didn't really like that song. I could have done without that. It was kind of boring or whatever. But, um, and then oftentimes my kids like the theater, so then we tell our kids about it and we, we exchange notes. But that is our theater experience. Okay, the church is not the theater. The church is not an occasion. It's not a place to go to get dressed up or to get out of the house or to even go and make small talk and even meet people. Okay, that is not what the church is. It's what it's become to, to many, but that's not what it is. Now, Paul is going to give us several pictures in this chapter of the church. And he's going to use these different terms, and it's going to give us some great insights into what the church is. Now, sometimes preachers will divide these differently, um, so keep that in mind. But here's the way we're going to put them on our list. Pictures of the church in Ephesians. This is your first one. Number one, it is a one new man. He says he created one new man in the place of two, okay? First of all, the church is something new. This is a new creation. If you did your bonus reading, you really got a chance to see that in chapter three. The church is a new society and there is no other human community like it. And you know why? Well, one of the reasons, because it's so variegated. It's multicolored. It's multicultural, okay? Paul explains that the law had a very divisive impact on humanity, and Jesus Christ, through the cross, has abolished that. We now have peace with one another. Okay, and that brings us, our next point, I don't have a number for this, but it is, the blood of Christ breaks down barriers Sometimes that uh, word in verse 14 for dividing wall is called a barrier wall. Sometimes it was called that. The flesh of Jesus Christ, the death on the cross, it broke that down. So the church is now a colorful, variegated society because Jesus has made peace and broken down the dividing walls. Let me ask you something. What barrier walls are you putting up? Do you have a problem? With a person's skin color? What about a person's age? Maybe you have a uh, problem with the way a person looks. Maybe you have a problem with somebody who has less education than you do or less money than you do or more money than you do. Maybe you have issues with a family member or in-laws. Now, I am not asking if you have peace and unity with the world. That's not going to happen. Yes, we are to love the world. We are to try to be at peace with them, but you are never going to be united. You're not going to be one man, one undivided man with the world. That's not going to happen. But, oh, it's a different story with the church. Because Jesus Christ has abolished the walls and made it so that we can have peace with God and peace with each other. So let me ask you, what kind of things are you dividing over in your Sunday schools? What kinds of things are you dividing over in the church or in your small groups? Do you function as one undivided man? And if not, why? Years ago, women in the church usually had a lot in common. There was gossip and so forth, but generally they were usually very supportive and found strength from each other. Nowadays, you have so many different options and so many different choices, and consequently, it also means that you have more to argue over and more to divide you. I am told that the typical young mother nowadays has got big decisions to make, about things like immunizations. My day, everybody just got them. Nowadays, you have the whole organic foods issue. Again, my day, didn't have them. You have to decide whether you're going to be vegans or use the paleo diet. Do you notice how much food? There's just a lot of food issues to decide today, isn't there? Um, You will have to decide on whether you will be a stay-at-home mom whether you will homeschool your children, whether your children will go to public school. You got a lot of decisions and choices. And you know, it doesn't take much for an issue to turn into something divisive, to turn into a wall. And we have to be so careful about what we bring into the church that we're not bringing something into the church that becomes a wall, a wall that Jesus Christ died to put down. Do you gossip? That's a wall. Let's continue. Let's look at verse 19. Verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Next on our list, verse 19. Number two on our paper. We are fellow citizens of the kingdom of God. There are no racial or cultural distinctions because we are all equally citizens. Last time we talked about how we used to be walking according to the prince of the power of the air, and uh, we were in that kingdom, but not anymore. We've been transferred. We are now citizens of the kingdom of God. All of our passports say kingdom of God. Number two, number three, sorry. We are members of the household of God. The church is the household of God. Now, this term gets a little more personal. This speaks of family. These are the people that you do life with. These are the people you're concerned about. These are the people you care for. These are the people to whom you give an account. The pastor talked about that yesterday. Okay. Does that describe your relationship with the local church? Um, I want you to notice something in verse 14. He says, For he himself is our peace who has made us both one. Okay. Two becoming one. What does that language remind you of? Marriage. Yes. Very good. Okay. Our relationship to the church is to be like a marriage. Okay, Josh, Joshua Harris has a good book out. It used to be called Stop Dating the Church. It has a different title now. But he describes people that nowadays we date the church. And it's a, we should be instead in a committed, one-person-solid, committed, loving relationship with the church, like a marriage. Okay? In Joshua Harris's book, he gives some signs that you might be a church dater. And one of them is, he says um, that church daters tend to be very critical and have a very short allegiance with the local body. Does that describe you? Um, Number two, he says that we are very me-centered. The driving question is, what can church do for me? What can I get out of it? Okay? You know what? Those attitudes really don't cut it very well in a family. Okay. Okay. Also, I do want to clarify, when we talk about church, there, are, there, there is the universal church, which every believer you know, in the, across the globe is a member of that. That's the universal church. But then you also have the small local church, and small local churches is what Paul started. Okay, so we know his heart on the manor. So let me ask you, are you in a loving, committed relationship with a local church? Are you doing married life with the local church? And if not, what are you waiting for? Now, some of you may want this. Some of you may want to be a, a, a part of a, a family and a church, and you may not know how to go about it. Maybe you're new in your faith. Maybe you're new in town. And you, and you come into a big city and the church is big and you're feeling like you're on the outside and you're not able to uh, connect, I want to give you some advice. Uh, find somebody to pray with <clears throat> and start meeting together. Go to, join a Sunday school class. Find somebody in that Sunday school and start meeting and start praying biblically for your class. Start praying biblically for your church. And you're going to see the affections for the church. You're going to see that increase. You're going to see your awareness of what's going on in the body. You're going to see that increase. That whole family connectedness is going to take off. When I um, would move and I would have to start uh, new churches, one of the first things I would do is I would look for a prayer group to join. And if I couldn't find one or they didn't have one, then I would go up and I would just ask a woman if she would come to my house and pray with me. I didn't wait for people to ask me. To be honest with you, I was too lonely. So so I would ask them. Okay, moving on. Verse 20. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God, by the spirit. Okay, verse 20, we start to see him talk. He's talking about the household, now he seems to be talking about a building, okay? So let's add that to our list. Number 4, the church we are a building on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus the cornerstone. The church has been given as strong teaching, the strong teachings of the prophets and the apostles. That's what the church is built on, and Jesus Christ is the cornerstone that it all rests on. I want you to notice that it says being joined together. All right. You know what? Some some of you may come from families that were not very joined. You may come from families that were not very close. Okay. But a building is joined. A building, it's close. If the building is unjoined, it's just bricks. Okay, so we're talking about being fitted together. Yes, we are different, but we're fitted together. Uh, Okay, according to Josh Harris, one of the other signs that you might be a church dater is that you are independent. You see your faith as a solo pursuit. Okay, newsflash, faith is not a solo pursuit. We are together. Our faith is we're joined together. We're interdependent because we're a building. We are not a pile of bricks. Next picture, verse 21. It says, we are told that we are a building, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, which is a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So we're going to add that. Number five, the church, we are a holy temple. A holy temple. When you think of a temple, we think of something that's holy. We think of something that that, um, sits, it may sit among the people, it may be out among the people, but it's still holy, it's still distinct. When you think of a temple, you think of prayer, you think of worship, because those are the type of things that go on in a temple. Now, we've talked about this before. Yes, we are to pray in our closets. Yes, we are to worship in our prayer closets, all of that. We talked about that. Definitely do that. But if the church is a temple, it means that we're going to do that together as well. So let me ask you, do you faithfully gather with the body of Christ, your local body, to worship and to praise God together? Because we're a temple. And what about praying? Do you meet with the other parts of the body, of the other parts of your local body and pray? You know, the world has meetings all the time. And they get together and they have parties and social clubs and meetings and they don't pray. And you know what? That's okay. That's, they're the world. But the church should be different. In fact, prayer should be something. It should be distinguishing us From the rest of the world. When we get together as a body, that should be something that distinguishes us from the rest of the world because we're the temple. I wonder if I were to have ask for a show of hands and say, raise your hand if you have at some point in this past week prayed together with a part of the local body. I wonder what the room would look like. We're the temple. We need to pray together. Also, it says that we grow into a holy temple. The church is going to be growing in number together. We're going to be growing in maturity together. In fact, we need each other to grow in Christ. We're going to talk a lot lot more about that next week. The corporate dimension of the body, the corporate dimension of God's plan of salvation is inescapable. Inescapable. Now, why is that? Why is the church such an important part to the plan of God? Well, um, there's something else we want to see. If you would turn over with me to chapter three, this was a part of your bonus. Chapter three, verse eight. To me. Okay, Paul is giving us some more insight about why the church was created and what's the purpose of the church. The church is to bring to light. It is the visible body of Christ to the lost world. Okay, but also notice something else. It is also the manifold wisdom of God to the spiritual realm. Okay? When my kids were younger... <clears throat> we lived in West Virginia for a while, about seven years. And uh, we lived on uh, our lot was very large, was a big lot, and it was on this hill like most homes in West Virginia are. And um, because of that, my kids always wanted to play in my front yard right in front of the front door because uh, that was the only flat spot on the in the t- entire yard. And so um, <clears throat> my kids, my boys... excuse me, they had a game that they called Water Wiffle Ball. And Water Wiffle Ball is they would take buckets or containers and they would fill them with water and they would put one for each base. And then there was a big bucket of water at um, the pitcher's mound. And it was just the two of them that would play <clears throat> when whoever was pitching would take that ball and they'd dip it down into that bucket and get filled with water and then they would throw it at the batter and then the batter would hit it and then they would go running around the bases and every time they hit a base, they had to splash the water. And uh, this is very elaborate rules. There was just the two of them and <laughs> they did all the fielding and the ba- it was base running and so uh, there's a lot of rules and for the most part, it was great fun and great entertainment. They literally spent hours, hours playing the game. But every once in a while, I would hear, I would just start to hear the shouting and the yelling and and the ugliness out there in the yard. And I would would listen for a little bit and kind of see if it would have a chance to um, fix itself out. But sometimes it didn't. Sometimes it just deteriorated to a full-blown battle. And so I would go to the front door, and I would just tell them, get in there, and they would, they'd have to leave the field. And, and I would make them come in the house, and I would make them sit down at my kitchen table. And I had a um, very wise Bible study teacher who had raised four sons, and her, she had given me some advice. She had said, get to the bottom of it. Get to the bottom of it. Anytime your children are fighting, get to the bottom of it. So that was always my goal. I would bring them into the kitchen table and kind of be like I was the judge, all right, what was going on out there? And, you know, to tell, have each kid tell their side of the story and try to figure things out. And, um, and, and I would we'd try to get to the bottom of it. And then at some point, at some point they could always expect me to explain to them, okay, now you guys remember, I am t- teaching a neighborhood Bible study and, uh, in the neighborhood. And, um, uh, you know, I've been trying to share... Christ with my neighbors. I was trying to profess Christ to my neighbors. So, you are not allowed to act like pagans in the front yard. It's just, you, just, you, just, it's not, you can't do it. You can, you're gonna have to come inside and do it, but you're not doing it out there in the front yard. And so, and they liked playing, so they, they, they didn't like that. But um, I ha- had at the time a very interesting visual aid, because we had two other little boys that were brothers that lived in the same neighborhood. And they were kind of wild little guys that just kind of roamed the neighborhood, and it seemed like everywhere they went, there was always some kind of fight or some kind of argument, or somebody was hurt or something was broken. And and my boys kind of learned that quickly. They 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 didn't really want to hang out with, with that. And these little fellows were not interested in all the rules of water wiffle ball, so just they didn't play much together. But we would often be able to see them play from my kitchen window at my kitchen table. We could kind of watch them uh, walk around the neighborhood. They might meet up with somebody. And then, you know, my kids would be watching and, and giving the commentary. Oh, here comes so-and-so. Oh, that's, that's not good. That's good. You know, they would know. They could start to predict when the fighting was going to start and what kind of battle it was going to be because you could, you, could always, uh, you could always count on it. Well, um, th- this... Was life in that neighborhood for quite some time. <clears throat> and then eventually, um, I had two other neighbors that moved. And before they moved, they came, they came over to say goodbye. And, and both of those neighbors made a point to come uh, to my husband and say, um, We want you to know something. We want you to know how much we enjoyed watching your children play. And the one neighbor said, You know, I had, a, um, I had an older brother that was mean. He was mean to me. And he says, I want you to know how much I enjoyed the way the older boy treated the younger boy. Well, you know what? Somebody else was watching out their window. You know, when they looked out their window, they didn't see perfect children. That that term was never used. They did not see perfect children. They saw flawed children. But you know what? They saw the church. You see, the lost world, the lost, well, no, let me go back. The, the church is actually like the theater, except we're the actors. We are the ones on the stage. And the lost world are watching, and the spiritual heavenly uh, rulers, they're watching, they're watching the peace between brothers. They're watching the peace between the brothers. They're captivated by the peace among the body of Christ. In fact, Paul goes on to tell us that the spirit world looks at the peace among the church and it sees the manifold wisdom of God. It sees the manifold wisdom of the cross through the church. That brings us to our last and final point. Number six, the church. It is a display to the heavenly rulers of the manifold wisdom of God. A display. Beginning next week, the book of Ephesians is going to take a turn for the practical. Our studies are about to get very practical. Next week, we are going to have a a mini-seminar on spiritual gifts that will have much to say about peace among the body. There's much to learn there about that. So we'll get to see a practical side of that. Um, Let's pray. Father, we praise you for the church. And Father, we pray that we could be faithful to live like one new man, to live as a family, to do life together, to be a display to the heavenlies, to be a display to the lost world around us of just the manifold wisdom of God. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.